the most difficult place to live the Christian life is probably not in church. The most difficult place to live the Christian life is probably not at work or in your neighborhood or in the community at large. I've become convinced that the most difficult place to live the Christian life is at home. And yet it is the most important place to live the Christian life. Because everything flows out of that relationship and that environment. Paul, the Apostle Paul, in writing his letter to his beloved friends, the Ephesians, challenges them to so walk. In other words, the walk is the life. This is the way you should live. And when we come into the last part of chapter 5 and into chapter 6, he, he deals with specific relationships that are in the household or in the home. We're going to talk about those. He's speaking about living in the context of the people around you and how they're related to you and how you respond. Now, in doing that, there are several ways to look at this. A lot of times I begin a study like this and I immediately I feel defeated because none of us live up to that expectation. None of us. The last thing that I want to do in this series is to discourage anyone. But sometimes we can get that way. We also don't want to look around at all the problems with everyone else because you can't change people. Now, you may have tried to do that before, but you really can't change other people. The only person you can really change is yourself. We're going to deal with some specific areas. We're going to talk this morning to husbands. Next week to wives. Then we're going to talk to children and their parents of how they respond and so forth. Now each one of these is specific, but there are also general applications that I think all of us take in. So I'm, I want to challenge you not to be discouraged as you look at your past because all of us have lives that have been disrupted, don't we? I mean, things that have gone wrong, not the way we've planned, we look back at the way we've behaved, and we could get discouraged if we look back too far. I want you with me to look forward to see what we can become and the work that God is doing in us. Because for every single person here, God is changing you, wants to change you to become more and more like his son, that you might enjoy better fellowship and union with him and to function with more joy and more peace in this life, in this world. Our text this morning is found in Paul's letter, chapter 5, Ephesians. And you've got to realize that these, this, the Bible is not just uh, an encyclopedia of texts that you run to to find things. It is an unfolding story. And this letter is part of that. And in this letter to the Ephesians, he says, "...and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ." For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And then in verse 1 of chapter 6, children, obey your parents and the Lord. Now, I skipped through several sections, but I'm picking out some highlights here from verse 21 on through the first part of chapter 6. First, husbands, love your wives. Second, wives, Submit to your husbands. Third, children, obey your parents. 
But it's interesting because this is a very controversial passage because there's that S word in there, submit. And when, when Paul wrote this, it was like dropping a bombshell on the culture. It's the same way today, but for different reasons. When, when we say the word submit, typically today, there's, a, there's just a, there's a pullback, a resistance. What do you, wives submit. What do you mean, wives submit? But it also says, husbands, this means you love your wife the same way Christ loved his church. How did Christ love his church? He, he gave his life. He died. So you talk about submitting. The husband submits. The wife submits. Children, obey your parents. What is that? Submission. So there is not a person in the house who is not called to submit. But that, that causes every one of us to just the hair stand back on our neck. We don't like that. We're going to go through this idea. The meaning of submit is to subordinate oneself to another, as in the military. Not something we like to do. It's like the young kid that said, I'm sick and tired of people telling me what to do. I'm going to go join the Marines. <laughs> it means to line up under. It is the same way that Jesus Christ, though equal with God, lined up under his heavenly Father and submitted himself unto death, even the death of the cross. Interesting. The real issue of submission is vertical, not horizontal. Most of our trouble, most of our problems in our, in our relationships are because there, there is conflict vertically, not horizontally. When I look around to try to find my sense of identity, when I do that horizontally, it's not going to go well. When I, when I look around horizontally to find my contentment, my peace, and my joy, it's not going to go well. If I look around me to try and set my priorities and goals, it's not going to go well. Right relationships horizontally will happen when right relationship is established vertically. It is his kingdom. Realize this, that, that God created every single one of us with purpose. And the purpose, the primary purpose, was his pleasure. God created you for his pleasure, to enjoy relationship with you vertically. And it is his kingdom. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But the problem is, I tend to function in my own kingdom. <laughs> so as a man, I want to have a good job, brings me pleasure. Have a good career, brings me pleasure. Have a wonderful wife, brings me pleasure. And even have a God that brings me pleasure. The center of my life, and I'm talking not idealistically, but functionally and practically, I tend to function as the center of my universe. And you do too. And it is my kingdom. Now I worship God and I love my wife and I'm working hard and doing all these things. I'm going to church. But I tend to practically function in the center of my own world. And I'm looking for things that please me. 
I'm attracted to this, or I want to pursue this, or have this relationship. And I continue to do those things that bring me pleasure. And when those things stop bringing me pleasure, I see them as obstacles in the way. Now this, to me, is something that I've experienced, I see over and over again, that typically when I'm having problems horizontally with all of you, (laughs) or my family, or in my marriage, the problem is not out there as much as it is in here. Now that's that's a tough that's a tough realization because I could give you 10 reasons why other people need to change. But as I as I bring this challenge the next few weeks I hope that you can see that I'm not saying that we don't have other problems out there and other people don't need to change. But you can't do anything about that. My father-in-law told me this one time. I've shared this before with you. He said, Matt, you've got enough in your own life to keep you busy. And I thought, (laughs) you know, and he said, once you get that all taken care of, then you can start worrying about everybody else. I thought, you know what? I'm still busy. (laughs) I'm still busy. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And here's the thing, that when I worship him as my king and my lord and my master and seek to please him rather than myself and run my own kingdom it is the quickest way to lasting peace and settledness and joy now that doesn't mean that if i get everything right that everything's going to be straightened out around me that the marriage is going to work or the kids are going to turn it's not it doesn't work that way But there is that peace and that joy that I have with him, and it puts me in the very best place to work in concert with what he's doing around me. So I look at my wife. God's at work there. Working my kids. God's at work there. Family members, relatives, brother-in-law, sister-in-law. God's at work everywhere. When I'm rightly aligned with him, he puts me in concert with what he's doing everywhere else and not in conflict. If we ever want to get our horizontal relationships right and live the life as a Christian, we must submit to his lordship and his kingdom and his authority over us. So this passage, and what's interesting when you, I'm not not sure if you look in your Bible how how the breakdown in paragraphs, but uh, I think really when you start verse 21, Here's what it's, this kind of leads into this whole thing about husbands, wives, children, so forth. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So, husbands, submit. Wives, submit. Children, submit. Singles, submit. Grandparents, submit. None of us escape this. This is, this is pretty tough. It's tough on my nature to argue, to, to rebel, to demand my rights, to point out all of your faults. The call is to humility and brokenness and submission and servant-mindedness. Can you think of anybody else that lived that way? Well, it was Jesus. You know, when Jesus was on earth, he had a lot of followers. And there's a reason why he had thousands of people following him. 
They estimate that when the feeding of the of the uh, the 5,000 was that was men plus the women and children. They estimate there could be 20,000 people that he fed. Why did why did Jesus why did people follow Jesus? Well, they did have uh, a meal. He fed them. He had incredible teaching. It was said that that no one had such authority. In other words, they were they were mesmerized by his incredible rhetoric, his teaching. He fed them. He healed them of sicknesses and diseases. Can you imagine that if that if today Jesus were here and he gave free meals, incredible stimulating teaching on life, and healed their sicknesses and diseases, what kind of crowd he would have? But here's what happened. When all the crowd was following him, in several places we see this, as he turned and he said to them, if any of you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And, and pretty soon what happened is the crowd just kind of went away. At one time, only his disciples were left standing there, and he said, will you also go away? Because what he was, he was calling them to come with him to die. To die. They still followed him. Here's what Paul said in Philippians. He said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset that was in Jesus, who being in very nature God, in other words, he's God, Jesus is God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what it says is Jesus, equal with God, did not use it to his advantage. He, he willingly put himself under the Father and submitted himself to death. That's, that's the mind, he says, needs to be in you. But look at this. What that accomplished. When Jesus submitted to his Father, became obedient to death, it provided salvation and eternal life for all of us. That's why he goes on to say, and it was the joy, this, the joy that was set before him. How could Jesus go on to the cross and to death? And it says there was joy set before him. Not because there was joy in the cross. There's nothing joyful about such a death. But the joy that it brought salvation to the world and pleasure to his father because of that salvation. It's just an amazing thing. When Jesus was with his disciples, he really blew them away. When he picked up a towel and went and started washing their feet, this was, this was the, the job for the lowest servant in the house. <clears throat> they washed the feet. It was a custom we don't practice today, but it was basically... Your feet get dirty and dusty when you're out walking around. You don't need a whole bath, but you need your feet washed. And so the lowest servant would do this anytime you walk into a home. <clears throat> they go to meet, no one does it. Because none of the disciples feel themselves, they don't want to be the lowest guy doing it. Not me, it's not me, it's not me. Find the most junior guy to do it. <laughs> Jesus did it. And he said, do you realize what I just did to you? Do you understand what I just did? 
You're looking around. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So, I've entitled this message, A Word About the Most Important Relationships. Here's the word. You ready for it? Submit. Now, this, that's, that's a word I figured it's going to scatter the crowd, so don't all leave at once. <clears throat> we need to move our church, our churches, from consumerism to commitment. The consumerism is love the teaching, love the healing, love the food, do this, go here. It's all about my kingdom. The commitment following Jesus, submitting myself to his kingdom and being a servant. Now, I'm going to begin with husbands. Go back to wives. Paul began with wives because everybody understood that. The, the bombshell was when he told the men to love the women like Christ loved the church because women had, back in that day, men had a very low view of women. In a lot of parts of the world, that's that way too. The culture's that way. And, and, and Jesus was, was really destroying this idea. And, and Paul reiterates this here by telling the men, this is how you treat your wife. And you'll see how and, and why I'm doing this. So I'm going to have Noel put up on the screen. There are two parts to this. You know, the, the key is submitting to one another, verse 21. And then we're going to look at verse 25 to follow that. <clears throat> but look what this says, okay? This is, this is the first part, verse 21, sets the stage for everybody. It says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's all of us. For husbands, this means, here's what it means, men. Love your wives. And before you say, oh, I love my wife, I'm fine. I love her, I love her, I love her. Before you say that, <laughs> see the qualifier. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he gave up his life for her. So the most incredible submission in the history of the world was Jesus, who is God, submitting himself to be human and to die on a cross for sinners. Same way, men, is the way you love your wife. You say, I can't do that. Well, and you're right, you can't. Apart from Christ, Jesus Christ in you, and giving you the ability and capacity to do this, you can't in your own strength. It's an impossible thing. So the proposition for husbands, love your wife the same way Christ loved the church. Give your life up for her. When we describe a love, and I think that it's a word that we use a lot, what do we mean? And Paul defines this in 1 Corinthians. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So what's Paul saying? If we were to, to, to give distinctives of agape love, real love, I have five of them. They're quick. Um, you don't need to write them all down if you want to listen to the recording later and jot these down. But number one, love is an action. Love is not a feeling. Agape is not 
an emotion of attraction or I'm feeling good or I love you because of who, who you are. It's not, it's not about you. Love is an action. It's something you do. And it's not necessarily a big life-changing event. It's, it's brick by brick as you build a building. Love is something you do. Action. Number two, love takes initiative. It is something you start. Elizabeth Elliot said, the important thing for you, the man, to remember is that a woman cannot properly be the responder unless the man is properly the initiator. He must take the lead in order that she may follow. As in a dance, the willingness of each to perform the steps that have been choreographed gives the other freedom. So God gives the man the command. You don't find in scriptures, wives love your husbands. So the Lord, I think, probably knew that's probably impossible. Oh. Here's the command. It's to men. And you know what? Women are actually better at doing this than we are. We're not really good at this. You take the initiative. It's an action. It takes initiative. Number three, it is selfless and sacrificial. This kind of love is about what you give up, not what you get. Most of us guys are focused on what we can get. Not what we give up. Love is unconditional. It acts independently of circumstances and what other people do. Wow. Think of this. If love is unconditional, it's nothing about, if I love you with this agape, it has nothing to do with what you have done for me. Unconditional means I make a decision, I take action, I take initiative, I make a sacrifice independent of what's happening to me. Told you this is pretty tough stuff. <laughs> Number five, love never gives up. Never throws in the towel. Never says, you know what, I've, I'm done, I'm done. I've had it. You know what, I've been doing this for five years, ten years, fifteen years. I don't see any results. Now, here's the thing. Other people may give up on you. <laughs> Other people may throw in the towel. I'm not saying that every relationship around you is going to work because you do this. Because I've seen plenty of people that have made every attempt to do this and still a woman will walk away or it doesn't work out. I'm not saying that. But here's, here's what happens. When you love like this, you love like Christ. Every person that Jesus loved doesn't come to him in salvation either. Remember that. It is more natural for women to do this than it is for men. But guys, this is the test to submit. Three ways we submit to our wives. And I want to just kind of run through this before we wrap it up. And I take this from this text here. The scripture says a man leaves his father, verse 31 of chapter 5. He's joined with his wife. They become one flesh. It's a great mystery, he says. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So three ways you love your wife. Number one, hear her. Hear her. As he says, live with your wife in an understanding way. 
Stephen Covey says, seek first to understand before being understood. Know her and how she is different than you. Most men expect their wives to see things and to act the way they think and the way they understand. And we never get past that. You should see things like I see them. Because we're so in our own kingdom, we expect our wives to see things like we see them. But she's different. She's different. She is a woman. She is different. When my mother-in-law was living with us, she'll be back again. She and Diane started watching these Hallmark movies. And so <clears throat> Diane says, you know, we're watching the ball game with you. You're going to watch a Hallmark movie? I said, I don't think so. <clears throat> then I find out, then I find out that my brother-in-law, who is president of a seminary in Virginia, every night is watching Hallmark movies with my sister. <clears throat> then my other brother-in-law, who pastors a large church in Columbia, South Carolina, every night is watching Hallmark movies with his wife. <clears throat> then I found out there are men in this church <clears throat> who actually watch Hallmark movies. I said, Diane, what is it about these Hallmark movies? <laughs> she said, well, you know what? They're good and wholesome, and they always end up well. Well, I've actually watched a Hallmark last night with my wife. We have different operating systems. We think differently. We have different experiences growing up in the way our families have been. Some good experiences, some bad that shape the way we think. We don't connect the same way. We don't express our love the same way. Our needs are not the same. Willard Harley in his book, His Needs, Her Needs, the top, he says the top five needs of a man and the top five needs of the woman. How many of those needs do you think overlap? Zero. Zero. So if I'm looking at Diane thinking of what her, her top needs must be like my top needs, Her top, top, need, top need for a, a woman is affection. Top need for a man, this is really spiritual, guys, sexual fulfillment. Now, I'll tell you this, that affection and sexual fulfillment are not the same. <laughs> but you can see, and it, and it goes downhill from there. So if, if I'm looking, thinking, she's thinking like I'm thinking. I'm not going to be able to dwell with her in an understanding way. Guys take very little time to think about this. You know, we take a lot of time to think about this with our work, with our hobbies, the things we do, to understand what's going on so we can really be good at our job. We spend very little time in the most important relationship in the world to dwell with them in an understanding way. You say, I need an owner, owner's manual. Well, truth is, you write the owner's manual. That's what God's telling you to do. If you dwell in an understanding way, it takes work to understand. You study to know. Second, you don't just hear her, but help her. As the weaker partner, through co-heirs of the grace of life. Now, this is another politically incorrect statement from that time and this time. The weaker partner. What does that mean? <laughs> 
oh, how we could imagine a lot of things. But I think it's like that. Duh. Your body's different than hers. Physically, biologically, structurally, in case you didn't notice, and I am so glad my wife's body is not like mine. Men are generally speaking, not always stronger. They're to be the protector, the leader, the provider. This is, this is not because they're more important of greater value. This is in the same way God has structured the home to function. We'll talk about that more next week. The husband is the head. He's not more important. He's not to lord it over his wife. He's to love her in a submissive way. This is not a competition, but it is a completion. And I, re- I believe, really, that the reason why we have such a backlash in our society today is because men have failed in a lot of these things. Number, secondly here, to help her. By, by helping her, I do this by being the man that I, God created me to be. Probably the best contribution that I could make to my wife is to be the man God created me to be. And that, to me, I've never done in that process. I've never arrived at that. So it takes my time. I help her grow. It says in Ephesians 5.25, He gave His life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. And he goes on to explain this, that, that the husband's responsibility is to help his wife grow as a believer. A recent Gallup poll and also Harvard studies. This was really interesting. I, I spent quite a bit of time on this. but And these are secular people kind of observing from the outside what's happening here. The, the average divorce rate in America is probably a little over 50%. That, that percent goes to almost zero when three things are taking place in a family. This is, this is Gallup and Harvard Review. A couple prays together. They read the Bible together, and they go to church together. Now, there's a reason for that. When, when you pray together, something's happening. When you read the Bible together, something's happening. When you go to church together, something is happening. It is the man's responsibility, and usually the guy is not the most spiritual one in the relationship. I'm not going to say that with my marriage and Diane that I'm the most spiritual guy in our relationship. And I may not even know the most. But I have the responsibility to, to initiate these things. Grab her hand, let's pray. Let's read a little bit out of the daily bread or, or, or a verse. Or let's read it. Let's go to church. I'm not saying that like a, in a legalistic sense, I can't miss anything ever. No, but this is, this is the tone. So I hear her in an understanding way. I help her in her growth. And number, number three, honor her. Show respect and value. You treasure her. You cherish her. You give her the place of honor. In Ephesians 5 and verse 28, it says, In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. Now, what's interesting said, oh, this is telling us that we need to love ourselves first. No, it's, it's not saying that you should. It's saying that you do. <laughs> Wayne Mack says this, normally a man uses a lot of time and gives great deal of effort and thought 
and money to take care of himself. A man will take care of his needs, his desires, his aspirations, his hopes, his body, his comfort. They're all very important to him. He nourishes and cherishes himself. He carefully protects and provides for the needs of his body. He does not deliberately do that which would bring harm to himself. When he's hungry, he eats. When he's thirsty, he drinks. Right, man? (laughs) When he's tired, he sleeps. When he is in pain, he goes to the doctor. When he cuts himself, he washes the wound and binds it up. When he sees an object coming toward him, he puts up his hands for protection. He is very naturally and carefully and fervently nourishing and cherishing himself. Guys just do that. So what he's saying is, cherish your wife. Value her. Put her in the place of an honor. Quit trying to be wanting to be treated like a king and treat her like a queen. This is submitting yourself. This is putting yourself under. This is supporting her in every way. It's how you talk to her, how you treat her, how you respect her. It's how you talk about her when other people are in the room. It's how you involve her in decisions. Why are you so impatient, men, and unkind to your wife? You know why? Because you can get away with it. And she'll forgive you. If there's anyone in the world that you cherish and value and nurture and care for and love and esteem and honor and set up on a pedestal, it'd be your wife. Now, you say she doesn't deserve it or she doesn't know doing all this. I'm not, we, can't, we can't change those things. This is what you do. This is what I do. This is what love does. Little things like holding her hand, giving her a hug, Telling her how beautiful she is, how much you love her, protecting her, supporting her, getting the door for her. So oh, you're now you're sounding all this old-fashioned stuff. No, you value her as precious. God did this with his son. God, son, it says that God gave Jesus the preeminence. He gave him the preeminence. You men submit by giving your wife preeminence. So the takeaway today, a word to husbands is this, submit. Same word next week (laughs) for women. By loving your wife the same way Christ has loved you. So I say, men, give your life up for her. This is impossible without Christ. Don't miss this. By receiving him as your personal Savior in faith, And by walking with him in faith, you will become the man you need to be, the husband you need to be, what God created you to be. My prayer is this. God would help me before he helps any other of these men to be that kind of man, to learn to submit to God and to submit my calling to love my wife. Now, not all of you are husbands, but did you get the principle? Did you get the principle? This is is what Jesus said for every believer, what love looks like. Father, thank you for your word. It's so challenging. It's impossible. We may throw up our hands in frustration because we can't do it, but we know that you've given us an example and you have given us in Christ the ability to do what you've called us to do. And I pray that this church will be so full of this kind of love 
for Jesus' sake. Amen.